Well, if you can, turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1, verses, uh, we're going to start out with the last half of verse 18, and read all the way through verse 26 for our second scripture reading today. So Philippians 1, 18b through verse 26, and you can find it in your pew Bibles on page 1,826. Philippians 1, 18b through verse 26. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain, and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you, again, your joy in Christ Jesus will overflow on account of me. These are the inspired words of God. May they bring hope in both life and death to all who hear them. There's a saying that we have today, don't be too heavenly minded that you are of no earthly good. The idea is that such a person is so focused on eternity that they don't see the problems around them in this life. It's a clever little saying and it seems wise at first glance, the question is, is there any truth to it? Is there any validity to such a saying? Do those who focus too much on the afterlife really miss all the important things in this life? Our scripture reading puts sayings like this one to the test. But before we dig in, let's, let's review. Last week, we talked about Paul being in chains for Christ. Yet this persecution did not hinder the gospel message. Rather, that message of Jesus advanced because of Paul's predicament. The praetorian guards under Caesar were now hearing the good news. And Paul's, Paul's courage emboldened others to speak, to speak bravely about Jesus' death and resurrection. In this, Paul took great joy. This being the case, Paul now wished to instruct the church on the proper attitude that a Christian should have while facing such persecution. He does so by demonstrating his own attitude, which does not focus on his circumstances, but rather upon Christ, upon his church, and upon the hope that comes in death. 
This is important because it sets up much of what Paul wants to communicate in the rest of his letter. For this church in Philippi was undergoing the same persecution that Paul was now facing. Let's look at the text again, beginning with the last part of verse 18. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. Just as Paul prayed for this church, we see now that this church also prayed for Paul. Remember, God is in control of all things, yet he uses means to bring about his will, prayer being one of these means. Paul understood this. He knew that his deliverance was near, not because of anything that he was doing, but because people were praying for him and because the Holy Spirit was helping him. Now, there's no way to know for certain, but most likely the letter that Paul received from the Philippian church mentioned that they were praying for his release from prison. They were praying for his deliverance. Paul uses this as an opportunity to instruct the Philippian church about prayer. You see, he was convinced that God's will was for his deliverance. He just didn't know how he would be delivered. What the Philippians desired might not have been what God desired. Look at verse 20. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. You see, Paul's deliverance from his chains would either come about by his release or through his death. For Paul, either route meant freedom. What mattered to him was that he would be bold in his witness, not ashamed of the gospel. He desired that Christ would be exalted through him. If his bold proclamation before Caesar meant the unshackling of his chains, then he would rejoice. And if it meant his death, it was no different to Paul. For what he sought help in was courage. In his own subtle way, he was guiding these believers in Philippi how to pray for him. Not just for deliverance, but more importantly, for courage so that he could speak boldly about Jesus. He coveted the prayers of these Philippian believers, yet he did not desire for deliverance only, but for something of far greater importance. He needed to stand strong as a witness for Christ, not backing down, even in the face of death. He did not want to shrink back in order to save his own skin. He needed to remain bold in the faith. On his own, in his own power, he could not succeed. Yet with the help of these faithful brothers and sisters, 
And by the power of the Holy Spirit, Paul would be able to keep his mind focused on heavenly things. And he would be able to stand and testify for Christ before Caesar. Verse 21. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Paul has shown his vulnerability to these Christians. He's showing his personal desire in the matter. For him, to die is far better. This probably came as a shock to the believers in Philippi. I mean, isn't it strange? Death being the more favorable outcome? But follow Paul's logic here. He says to live is Christ and to die is gain. To live as a Christian means that you are living under the grace of God. You are filled with his Holy Spirit. You get to serve others as Christ's representative. And the hope is that you will have fruitful labor in the Lord. Yet if you die, your soul departs from your body and goes to be with the Lord, awaiting the day of Christ's return and the resurrection of your new body. This is what is known as the intermediate state. It is a period of time when your soul will be without a body. You will await that final day when all the dead shall be raised. Paul describes this intermediate state as gain. For in it, you will become closer to Christ than you have ever been. You'll be in his presence. Then you will know fully what you now know in part. And you'll be rid of the sinful body that hinders you. The weight of the fleshly desires, they will be erased. And the suffering that you experience in this life will be no more. No more pain. No more tears. This is Paul's desire, to be in the presence of his Lord. But the choice is not up to Paul. God will decide what to do with his slave. Job faced a similar dilemma when God allowed Satan to ruin him on account of his righteousness. Job had lost all of his possessions, including his own children. He was then stricken with painful sores all over his body. Even his own wife saw the misery that he was in and said to him this, Are you still holding on to your integrity? Curse God and die. Listen to Job's reply. You are talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? 
In all this, Job did not sin in what he said. Job would then go on to be confronted by his friends as well concerning his so-called righteous status before God. They accused him of hiding sin. Yet listen to Job's words from our first scripture reading today. Job 13, verses 13 through 18. Keep silent and let me speak. Then come to me what may. Why do I put myself in jeopardy and take my life in my hands? Though he slay me, yet I will hope in him. I will surely defend my ways to his face. Indeed, this will turn out for my deliverance, for no godless man would dare come before him. Listen carefully to my words. Let your ears take in what I say. Now that I have prepared my my case, I know I will be vindicated. Can anyone bring charges against me? If so, I will be silent and die. Now, if you're familiar with the story of Job, you would know that he was a righteous man. God even said so himself. There was no man who could bring any charge against him. You see, Job's affliction came about not because of anything that Job had done, but rather because God permitted Satan to do this to him. This isn't to say that Job was sinless, for his righteousness came about through trust in God. And Job knew that even if God slew him, he would be vindicated. His deliverance did not depend on living or dying, but on the righteous judgment of God. This was Paul's view as well. He would allow God to decide his fate. But for the sake of the church in Philippi, it would be better if Paul remained alive. Verse 25. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your joy in Christ Jesus will overflow on account of me. Paul believed that he would be released. And this was probably the case, since around the second year of his confinement, Emperor Nero released a number of Jewish prisoners who had been sent to him by Felix. Most likely, Paul was one of those whom he released. Again, we can see God's providential hand in all of this. Paul would have once again been able to journey to Philippi to instruct these believers, readying them for a harsher persecution that was about to come. In order to be prepared, they would need to progress in their faith. Yet Paul's release was more than just for their instruction. For seeing Paul again would bring about great joy to these brothers and sisters in Christ. Remember, Paul was their spiritual father, so to speak. The man that they loved. The man who held them in his heart. 
such a reunion would result in overwhelming joy. And the love of Christ would be triumphant. Paul's joy and courage while he was in chains was rooted in the one that he followed. After all, it was Christ who truly freed him from the shackles of his former Pharisaical life. As a Pharisee, Paul was zealous for God's law. He was trying to obtain a right standing before God by his own power. It was an unachievable task. This pursuit led him down a murderous path where he became a persecutor of God's people. Yet in a show of mercy, Jesus humbled this man. He revealed to Paul a righteousness that could not be earned. Rather, it was given freely to him. You see, Christ. He hung on the cross for Paul's sins. The suffering and shame that Paul was now experiencing in prison was no comparison to the torturous sorrow of his Lord. Jesus underwent all this for Paul. So yes, Paul sat in chains filled with joy. Whether he lived or whether he died did not matter. What was important was that he would not be ashamed to proclaim Christ, even to Caesar, the highest in the land. As Paul went through such ordeals, what concerned him most was this church in Philippi and how they would conduct themselves as they faced the same threat as he. Paul desired to make it back to them that they might be instructed in such a manner, that they too would be worthy of suffering for Christ. Dear friends, if you are in Christ, then God calls you to the same attitude, to live is Christ and to die is gain. You might not live in a culture that will put you behind bars if you speak the gospel. Nonetheless, your culture is at odds with Jesus. Society today celebrates sin. If you don't toe the line of the new morality, then you'll be labeled a bigot or even worse. If you, if you preach the message of the exclusivity of Christ, then you are narrow-minded and hateful. And if you stray, if you stay true to what is written in God's word, then you will be shamed. Paul, he sought prayer so that he would in no way be ashamed. Yet the shame coming from the world he did not care about. It was the shame of denying Christ that bothered him. He knew that there was a solid chance that if he preach the gospel to Caesar, it would mean his life. Yet his perspective was greater than that. To live is Christ, to die is gain. Brothers, sisters, 
Jesus calls you to this same perspective. Your life right now is a blip on the screen. It is momentary. It is fleeting. To solely focus on the here and now is to misunderstand God's purpose for you. Yes, there is much good that you can do in the world, and the works that God has prepared for you are important. But it is the hope of eternity that should drive you towards such things. For it is a heavenly perspective that motivates a person to love his neighbor. Listen to Paul's words in Colossians 3, verses 1 through 4. Colossians 3, verses 1 through 4. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Jesus did not view this life on earth as the pinnacle of existence. He had his heart set on things above. He looked to his Father, not only to do his Father's will, but also to be one with him. This is why he went to the cross. It was God's will that he should suffer for the sins of many so that you could be one with the Father as he is one with the Father. As Christians, this should be your mindset. If your true focus is on Christ, then your heart should be set on things above. For above is where Christ is now seated. Before you had faith, you were focused on earthly things. Yet that old self is now dead, and your new self is hidden with Christ. So when Paul says that to live is Christ, he is saying that your life should be lived for Christ, focused on eternity and on the things that matter to God. Whether that means freedom or chains, it should not matter, for Christ is your king. And it is for him that you live. This was the heart of Jesus. Jesus cared not for the applause of men. He looked to his father for instruction. He had his mind set on things above more than any other person. It was with such a mindset that he was able to do the things that he did. When Paul said to live is Christ and to die is gain, he was just following Jesus' example. For Christ was the lamppost that was lighting his way. To live is Christ and to die is gain. For Christ lived for you, and he died for your gain. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word. It, is, it instructs us not only in life, but in death as well. Help us to focus on you this day. 
set our minds on heavenly things. It was your son who followed your will, even as it led him to the cross. And for that, we are grateful. Guide us by your Holy Spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.